0: Okay, so at the end of chapter 12, Brian was very disappointed because he had heard um, what he thought was a rescue plane, and then it um, left, and he was not found. So, we're starting with chapter 13, and he's, um, he's still out in the wilderness. Brian stood at the end of the long part of the L of the lake and watched the water, smelled the water, listened to the water, was the water. A fish moved and his eyes jerked sideways to see the ripples, but he did not move any other part of his body and did not raise the bow or reach into his belt pouch for a fish arrow. It was not the right kind of fish, not a food fish. The food fish stayed close in, in the shallows, and did not roll that way, but made quicker movements, food movements. The large fish rolled and stayed deep and could not be taken, but it didn't matter. This day, this morning, he was not looking for fish. Fish was the light meat, and he was sick of them. He was looking for one of the foolish birds. He called them fool birds, and there was a flock that lived near the end of the long part of the lake. But something he did not understand had stopped him, and he stood, breathing gently through his mouth to keep silent, letting his eyes and ears go out and do the work for him. It had happened before this way. Something had come in to him from outside to warn him, and he had stopped. Once it had been the bear again. He had been taking the last of the raspberries, and something came inside and stopped him. And when he looked where his ears said to look, there was a female bear with cubs. Had he taken two more steps, he would have come between the mother and her cubs, and that was a bad place to be. As it was, the mother had stood and faced him and made a sound, a low sound in her throat, to threaten and to warn him. He paid attention to that feeling now, and he stood and waited patiently, knowing he was right and that something would come. Turn, smell, listen, feel, and then a sound, a small sound and he looked up and away from the lake and saw the wolf. It was halfway up the hill from the lake, standing with its head and shoulders sticking out into a small opening, looking down on him with wide yellow eyes. He had never seen a wolf, and the size threw him, not as big as a bear, but somehow seeming that large. The wolf claimed all that was below him as his own, and took Brian as his own. Brian looked back and for a moment, felt afraid because the wolf was so, so right. He knew Brian, knew him and owned him and chose not to do anything to him. But the fear moved then, moved away, and Brian knew the wolf for what it was, another part of the woods, another part of all of it. Brian relaxed the tension on the spear in his hand, settled the bow in his other hand from where it had started to come up, He knew the wolf now, as the wolf knew him, and he nodded to it, nodded and smiled. The wolf watched him for another time, another part of his life. Then it turned and walked effortlessly up the hill, and as it came out of the brush, it was followed by three other wolves, all equally large and gray and beautiful, all looking down on him as they trotted past and away, and Brian nodded to each of them. He was not the same now. The Brian that stood and watched the wolves move away and nodded to them was completely changed. Time had come, time that he had measured but didn't care about. Time had come into his life and moved out and left him different. It measured time 47 days, in measured time, 47 days had passed since the crash. 42 days, he thought, since he had died and been born as the new Brian. When the plane had come and gone... It had put him down, gutted him, and dropped him, and left him with nothing. The rest of that first day he had gone down and down until dark. He had let the fire go out, had forgotten to eat even an egg, had let his brain take him down to where he was done, where he wanted to be done and done, to where he wanted to die he had settled into the gray funk deeper and still deeper until finally in the dark, he had gone up on the ridge and taken the hatchet and tried to end it by cutting himself. Madness, a hissing madness that took his brain. There had been nothing for him then and he had tried to become nothing, but the cutting had been hard to do, impossible to do, and he had at last fallen to his side, wishing for death, wishing for an end and slept, only didn't sleep. With his eyes closed and his mind open, he lay on the rock through the night, lay and hated and wished for it to end, and thought the word cloud down, cloud down, through that awful night. Over and over the word, wanting all his clouds to come down. But in the morning, he was still there. Still there on his side, and the sun came up, and when he opened his eyes, he saw the cuts on his arm, the dry blood turning black. He saw the blood and hated the blood, hated what he had done to himself when he was the old Brian and was weak. And two things came into his mind, two true things. He was not the same. The plain passing changed him. The disappointment cut him down and made him new. He was not the same and would never be again like he had been. That was one of the true things, the new things. And the other one was that he would not die. He would not let death in again. He was new. Of course, he had made a lot of mistakes. He smiled now walking up the lake shore after the wolves were gone, thinking of the early mistakes, the mistakes that came before he realized that he had to find new ways to be what he had become. He had made a new fire, which he now kept going using partially rotten wood because the punky wood would be, would smolder for many hours and still come back with fire. "'but that had been the extent of doing things right for a while. "'His first bow was a disaster that almost blinded him. "'He had sat a whole night and shaped the limbs carefully "'until the bow looked beautiful. "'Then he had spent two days making arrows. "'The shafts were willow straight, and with the bark peeled, "'he fire-hardened the points and split a couple of them "'to make forked points, as he had done with his spear. "'He had no feathers, so he just left them bare.' Figuring for fish, they only had to travel a few inches. He had no string, and that threw him until he looked down at his tennis shoes. They had long laces, too long, and he found that one lace cut in half would take care of both shoes and that the other lace he could use for a bowstring. All seemed to be going well until he tried a test shot. He put an arrow to the string, pulled it back to his cheek, pointed it at the dirt hummock, and at that precise instant, the bow wood exploded in his hand, sending splinters and chips of wood into his face. Two pieces actually stuck into his forehead, just above his eyes. And that had, and had, and had they been only slightly lower, they would have blinded him. Two stiff mistakes. In his mental journal, he listed them to tell his father, listed all the mistakes, He had made a new bow with slender limbs and a more fluid, gentle pull, but could not hit the fish, though he sat in the water and was, in the end, surrounded by a virtual cloud of small fish. It was infuriating. He would pull the bow back, set the arrow just above the water, and when the fish was no more than an inch away, release the arrow, only to miss. It seemed to him that the arrow had gone right through the fish again and again, but the fish didn't get hurt. Finally, after hours, he stuck the arrow down in the water, pulled the bow, and waited for a fish to come close. And while he was waiting, he noticed that the water seemed to make the arrow bend or break in the middle. Of course, he had forgotten that water refracts, bends light. He had learned that somewhere in some, cl- he had learned that somewhere in some class. Maybe it was biology, he couldn't remember. But it would bend light, and that meant the fish were not where they appeared to be. They were lower, just below, which meant that he had to aim just under them. He would not forget his first hit, not ever. A round-shaped fish with golden sides, sides as gold as the sun, stopped in front of the arrow, and he aimed just beneath it, at the bottom edge of the fish, and released the arrow, and there was a bright flurry, a splash of gold in the water, He grabbed the arrow and raised it up, and the fish was on the end, wiggling against the blue sky. He held the fish against the sky until it stopped wiggling, and held it and looked to the sky and felt his throat tighten, swell, and fill with pride at what he had done. He had done food. With his bow, with an arrow fashioned by his own hands, he had done food, had found a way to live. The bow had given him this way, and he exulted in it in the bow, in the arrow, in the fish, in the hatchet, in the sky. He stood and walked from the water, still holding the fish and that bow and arrow against the sky, seeing them as they fit his arms, as they were a part of him. He had food. He cut a green willow fork and held the fish over the fire until the skin crackled and peeled away, and the meat inside was flaky and moist and tender. This he picked off carefully with his fingers, tasting every piece, mashing them in his mouth with his tongue to get the juices out of them, hot, steaming pieces of fish. He could not, he thought then, ever get enough. And all that first day, first new day, he spent going to the lake, shooting a fish, taking it back to the fire, cooking it, eating it, then back to the lake, shooting a fish, cooking it and eating it, and on that way until it was dark. He had taken the scraps back to the water with the thought that they might work for bait, and the other fish came by the hundreds to clean them up. He could take his pick of them, like a store, he thought, just like a store, and he could not remember later how many he ate that day, but he thought it must have been over 20. It had been a feast day, his first feast day, and a celebration of being alive and the new way he had of getting food. By the end of that day, when it became dark, and he lay next to the fire with his stomach full of fish and grease from the meat smeared around his mouth, he could feel new hope building in him. Not hope that he would be rescued, that was gone, but hope in his knowledge, hope in the fact that he could learn and survive and take care of himself. Tough hope, he thought that night, I am full of tough hope. Chapter 14, Mistakes Small mistakes could turn into disasters. Funny little mistakes could snowball so that while you were still smiling at the humor, you could find yourself looking at death. In the city, if he made a mistake, usually there was a way to rectify it and make it all right. If he fell on his bike and sprained a leg, he would wait for it to heal. If he forgot something at the store, he would find other food in the refrigerator. Now it was different and all so quick, all so incredibly quick. If he sprained a leg, here he might starve before he could get around again. If he missed while he was hunting or if the fish moved away, he might starve. If he got sick, really sick, so that he couldn't move, he might starve. Mistakes. Early in the new time, he had learned the most important thing. The truly vital knowledge that drives all creatures in the forest. Food is all. Food was simply everything. All things in the woods, from insects to fish to bears, were always, always looking for food. And it was the great single driving influence in nature. To eat. All must eat. By the way he learned it, but the way he learned it almost killed him. His second new night, stomach full of fish and the fire smoldering in the shelter, he had been sound asleep when something, he thought later it might be smell, had awakened him. Near the fire, completely unafraid of the smoking coals, completely unafraid of Brian, a skunk was digging where he had buried the eggs. There was some sliver of a moon, and in the faint pearl light he could see the bushy tail, the white stripes down the back. "'and he had nearly smiled. "'He did not know how the skunk had found the eggs. "'Some smell, perhaps, some tiny fragrant of shell "'had left a smell, but it looked almost cute, "'its little head down and its little tail up "'as it dug, kicking the sand back. "'But those were his eggs, not the skunk's, "'and the half-smile had been quickly replaced with fear "'that he would lose his food, "'and he had grabbed a handful of sand "'and thrown it at the skunk. "'Get out of here!' He was going to say more, some silly human words. But in less than half a second, the skunk had snapped its rear end up, curved the tail over, and sprayed Brian with a direct shot aimed at his head from less than four feet away. In the tiny confines of the shelter, the effect was devastating. The thick, sulfurous, rotten odor filled the small room, heavy, ugly, and stinking, The corrosive spray that hit his face seared into his lungs and eyes, blinding him. He screamed and threw himself sideways, taking the entire wall off the shelter, screamed and clawed out of the shelter, and fell, ran to the shore of the lake. Stumbling and tripping, he scrambled into the water and slammed his head back and forth, trying to wash his eyes, slashing at the water to clear his eyes. A hundred funny cartoons he had seen about skunks. Cute cartoons about the smell of skunks. Cartoons to laugh at and joke about. But when the spray hit, there was nothing funny about it. He was completely blind for almost two hours. A lifetime. He thought that he might be permanently blind, or at least impaired, and that would have been the end. As it was, the pain in his eyes lasted for days, bothered him after that for two weeks. The smell and the shelter in his clothes and in his hair was still there now, almost a month and a half later, and he had nearly smiled. Mistakes. Food had to be protected. While he was in the lake trying to clear his eyes, the skunk went ahead and dug up the rest of the turtle eggs and ate every one of them licked all the shells clean and couldn't have cared less that Brian was thrashing around in the water like a dying carp. The skunk had found food and was taking it and Brian was paying for a lesson. Protect food and have a good shelter. Not just a shelter to keep the wind and rain out but a shelter to protect, a shelter to make him safe. The day after the skunk, he set about making a good place to live. The basic idea had been good the place for his shelter was right, but he just hadn't gone far enough. He'd been lazy, but now he knew the second most important thing about nature, what drives nature. Food was first, but the work for the food went on and on. Nothing in nature was lazy. He had to to—he had tried to take a shortcut and paid for it with his turtle eggs, which he had come to like more than the chicken eggs from the store. They had been fuller somehow, had more depth to them. He set about improving his shelter by tearing it down. From dead pines up in the hill, he brought down heavier logs and fastened several of them across the opening, wedging them at the top and burying the bottoms in the sand. Then he wove long branches in through them to make a truly tight wall, and still not satisfied, he took even thinner branches and wove those into the first weave. When he was at last finished he could not find a place to put his fist through it had all held together like a very stiff woven basket he judged the door opening to be the weakest spot and here he took special time to weave a door of willows in so tight a mesh that no matter how a skunk tried or porcupine he thought looking at the marks on his leg it would not possibly get through he had no hinges but by arranging some cut-off limbs on the top in the right way, he had a method to hook the door in place, and when he was in and the door was hung, he felt relatively safe. A bear, something big, could still get in by tearing at it, but nothing small could bother him, and the weave of the structure still allowed the smoke to filter up through the top and out. All in all, it took him three days to make the shelter, stopping to shoot fish and eat as he went, Bathing four times a day to try to get the smell from the skunk to leave. When his house was done, finally done right, he turned to the constant problem of food. It was all right to hunt and eat or fish and eat, but what happened if he had to go a long time without food? What happened when the berries were gone and he got sick or hurt or, thinking of the skunk, laid up temporarily? He needed a way to store food, a place to store it, and he needed a food and he needed food to store. Mistakes. He tried to learn from the mistakes. He couldn't bury the food again. Couldn't leave it in the shelter, because something like a bear could get at it right away. It had to be high, somehow high and safe. Above the door to the shelter, up the rock face about ten feet was a small ledge that could make a natural storage place, unreachable to animals, except that it was unreachable to him as well. A ladder, of course, he needed a ladder, but he had no way to fashion one, nothing to hold the strap, the steps on, and that stopped him until he found a dead pine with many small branches still sticking out. Using his hatchet, he chopped the branches off, so they stuck out four or five inches all along the log. "'Then he cut the log off at about 10 feet long "'and dragged it down to his shelter. "'It was a little heavy but dry and he could manage it, "'and when he propped it up, "'he found that he could climb to the ledge with ease, "'though the tree did roll from side to side a bit "'as he climbed. "'His food shelf, as he thought of it, "'had been covered with bird manure, "'and he carefully scraped it clean with sticks. "'He had never seen birds there.' But that was probably because the smoke from his fire went up right across the opening and they didn't like smoke. Still, he had learned and he took time to weave a snug door for the small opening with green willows, cutting it so it jammed in tightly. And when he finished, he stood back and looked at the rock face, his shelter below the food shelf above and allowed a small bit of pride to come. Not bad, he had thought. Not bad for somebody who used to have trouble greasing the bearings on his bicycle. Not bad at all. Mistakes. He had made a good shelter and a food shelf, but he had no food except for fish and the last of the berries, and the fish, as good as they still tasted then, were not something he could store. His mother had left some salmon out by mistake, One time, when they had left on an overnight trip to Cape Hesper to visit relatives, and when they got back, the smell filled the whole house. There was no way to store fish. At least, he thought, no way to store them dead. But as he looked at the weave of his structure, a thought came to him, and he moved down to the water. He had been putting the waste from the fish back in the water, and the food had attracted hundreds of new ones. I wonder... They seemed to come easily to the food, at least the small ones. He had no trouble now shooting them, and had even speared one with his old fish spear. Now that he knew how to aim low, he could dangle something in his fingers, and they came right up to it. It might be possible, he thought, might just be possible to trap them and make some kind of pond. To his right, at the base of the rock bluff, There were piles of smaller rocks that have fallen from the main chunk, splinters and hunks from a double fist size to some as large as his head. He spent an afternoon carrying rocks to the beach and making what amounted to a large pen for holding live fish, two rock arms that stuck out 15 feet into the lake and curved together at the end. There were aren't, there, where the arms came together, he left an opening about two feet across, and then he sat on the shore and waited. When he had first started dropping the rocks, all the fish had darted away. But his fish trash pile of bones and skin and guts was in the pond area, and the prospect of food brought them back. Soon, under an hour, There were 30 or 40 small fish in the enclosure, and Brian made a gate by weaving small willows together into a fine mesh and closed them in. Fresh fish, he had yelled. I have fresh fish for sale. Storing live fish to eat later had been a major breakthrough, he thought. It wasn't just keeping from starving. It was trying to save ahead, think ahead. Of course, he hadn't known then how sick he would get of fish.